Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of Passion Project, the podcast about passionate people and the things that drive them. I'm your host, Taylor Reed, and welcome, welcome you guys again to another episode of Passion Project, episode 37. We are doing this and getting through 2021 as best as we can. Welcome to another Friday, guys. We made it to the end of the week. Can you guys believe that? You know, be proud of that. Be proud that you made it to Friday again on another week. Um, Go ahead, pat yourself on the back. I mean, <laughs> listen, that's great. You made it to Friday. Um, I hope you guys are enjoying the show. Um, this year, we're going to see some awesome guests, including th- the guests for this week, which I'm so excited for you guys to hear. Um, if you are new and joining with us, go back and listen to some old episodes if you're interested. We talk all about what people are passionate about in their lives and how they got to do what they're doing. Um, so that's what Passion Project here is all about. So go back and listen to some old episodes. Of course, if you haven't already, share this episode and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, passionproject.pod. And go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and a star rating as well. Um, we'd love to hear from you with that. This week on Passion Project, we have another what a delightful guest. He is Sean O'Connell. If you guys don't already know, he is the managing director for Cinema Blend. He does a lot of awesome and cool stuff that you guys will get to hear in this episode. Um, he also is a critic, a film critic, so hear all about that. And hosts the amazing podcast, Real Blend. Hear all about how he fell in love with film and movies and how he basically turned it from a hobby into a career. So without further ado, here is episode 37 of Passion Project. Sean O'Connell, thank you so much for coming on Passion Project. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Absolutely, Taylor. Pleasure to be with you. I am a big fan of the show of Real Blend, um, the podcast. I I will say, so I've now I kind of was aware of Jake and Kevin through their YouTube stuff mm-hmm. for a long time, and then I I don't know how I I just kind of going through YouTube rabbit trails, um found real blend only i gotta say recently like only like two months two or three months ago and binged the like all of it because what else do we have to do during covid (laughs) Um, and it's just so great oh my gosh it's it's great so i'm glad that you were able to take the time Um, how bad are those early episodes they're, they, I thought they were great, but <laughs> uh, I assume they're pretty cringy. We were still trying to figure our way through it. Well, um, I, I love lists. I mean, I love award stuff too. So that was really fun. And um, that I, I guess maybe it was the year after when you guys were talking, the year Stars Born came out and all mm. of that. Stars Born pro- is on my top 10 of all time. And I, I just, I loved how much you guys loved that movie. So, um, what a debut huh? was, what a debut for yeah. a filmmaker oh incredible incredible i can't wait to see what he does next so well we'll get right into it i i usually ask people about kind of what they've been going on with covid and how they've been processing and stuff i think what i'll ask for you is kind of sh- quickly like yeah how you've been processing this time a lot has changed for you and for your work and a lot 
has I mean you're still doing interviews and stuff which is good you've been still kind of keeping that up but um and kind of what you've been doing for self-care just on your end sure um it's weird so much has changed and yet and yet so much hasn't um and I'll try and explain what that means um we used to I I miss the, I miss the act of going to the movie theater yeah. I I miss when we were doing junkets, press junkets, um, which were a relevant part of this job, we were traveling a lot to go different places and, and interview mm-hmm. people. And that all stopped, but, and it stopped because of the pandemic and, and just the industry shutting down. Mm-hmm. But I'll be honest with you, I, I kind of needed it to stop a little bit. You know, I needed to, to have a break and to be at home. And so uh, in a weird sort of way, because the industry still tried really hard to stay active and and we've we've been able to track the progress of of things as they've gradually moved to streaming and and really just report on everything that's been going on like i still mm-hmm. feel as busy as i ever felt but just it's busy in a different way right um and you mentioned the interviews that we've been doing like we we've been really active you know to try to make the the podcast available to as many people who still want to promote things who still have movies mm-hmm. coming um and we really tried to master the art of technology to to use these tools that are mm-hmm. uh, available to us um and so that's been a lot of fun and so it's it's still busy and i still feel really um professionally motivated and professionally challenged um mm-hmm. just in a completely different way and i think that that's been a big strength of of um cinema blend the site that that we run but also real blend the podcast is that we we reinvented ourselves very quickly and learned to pivot on the fly um personally i just i have um a, a wife and two kids and and i've gotten to spend so much more time with them and yeah. i love it like the boys especially i have two boys and they are um 16 and, and 12 they're about to turn 17 and 13 they're really pivotal ages where I just yeah. am so thrilled that I got a chance to to be around for them um, and just be be part of everything that they're doing right now. So that's been really, it's it's bizarre to say that during a time of a pandemic that things professionally and personally are going really, really well <laughs> or as good as can be expected. But right. um, I got no complaints, man. Everyone's been healthy and, and that's the biggest thing right now. Well, I would argue too, like maybe if this was in April, you may have maybe saying something different as far as like, I don't really know what to expect. But now that we're so far along and with the vaccine and everything, it's like, oh yeah, we've kind of gotten into this new normal, if you will. But Well, and to the point that like, you know, we just got an announcement that Morbius, um, the Jared Leto movie that's coming out right. in March is moving back and that Bond, which is coming out in April, might move back. And a year ago, that type of news was like devastating, you know? Yeah. Now you hear it and you're just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Right. It's right. weird how quickly we've adjusted to mm-hmm. that, you know, what should be, be a seismic, you know, shake. And now mm-hmm. it's just, uh, we're not rattled any, <laughs> anymore. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Of course that's not coming Yeah, out. whatever. What? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, quickly, uh, what have you been for yourself? And of course, watching movies, I'm sure what, but other things as far as, um, self-care, like during, I I think self-care, I think we've all been forced to do some sort of inward help for lack of better, like, you know, trying to fix, uh, look at ourselves because we've Mm -hmm. been inside for so long. So, but what for you, have you been kind of doing to kind of help with that? Um, 
well, I'm in the process of, I wrote a book. And right. so yes. uh, that's been a tremendous amount of, of stuff in my downtime is just your the, t-shirt the, you're wearing currently. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that comes with writing a book that I never knew before. Um, there's a tremendous process that goes into place even after the manuscript is done mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, well, the editing first and foremost is significant, um, <laughs> but like cover design and marketing and promoting it and all these things that you don't even think of. And that's been a wonderful, wonderful distraction from everything that's mm -hmm. been going on. Uh, I can almost immerse myself in that as an escape, uh, which has been great. Um, and then cooking. I, I love to cook. Mm. I adore cooking. And so um, I've gotten really experimental in terms of things that I've been trying to, to make so fun. Uh, that I wouldn't normally make. And so um, I wish I wish my kids were better eaters. My oldest <laughs> one tries a lot of stuff. Mm. My youngest is still very much just chicken tenders and yeah. <laughs> But it'll come i i i mean my taste palette's pretty still a little young maybe for my age but it's um i i always say i'll try anything but i don't know if i'll like it yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my wife's like okay i'll take that <laughs> <laughs> so cooking that's a big thing that i've been doing for self-care that's cool that's cool um now your book did you did, was that something you were gonna do before the pan like you started that before the pandemic or yes you thought of it okay yeah, I started that process in July and August of 2019. Oh, okay. So mm -hmm. um, I was pretty much in the thick of it, and 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 I don't, I don't know if I would have been able to finish it if things didn't slow down the way that they mm -hmm. did. You know? Yeah. Um, or it just would have taken longer. <laughs> probably would have taken longer. Uh, <laughs> and, and the book very much was because um, the Snyder Cut got announced. Mm -hmm. So the book is called Release the Snyder Cut. It's about Zack Snyder's uh, fight to get Justice League released. And because he confirmed that it's coming to HBO Max, that put an urgency uh, to the book that wouldn't have been there normally. Like if we had just mm -hmm. sort of, you know, trailed it out to, to finish the book out. Um, mm -hmm. And so it felt like a breaking news story, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that, it, that was sort of developing in book form over the course of nine months. Yeah. So that was exciting. And also that another, cool. uh, again, tremendous distraction from the, yeah. horrible things that were going on in real life yeah and like you said that now that it was released a sense of urgency of like oh yeah this probably should get done maybe before as the 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 snyder cut is coming out for sure but but yeah. the problem is that um from running cinema blend i'm used to immediate publishing and so mm -hmm. with a book the the manuscript got turned in in july and the book's not coming out till march like that's mm -hmm. the amount of things that have to take place and that drives me nuts. Like I'm yeah. clawing at my skin saying to these guys, like, hurry up, let's go, you know, mm. but they move at glacial, uh, glacial speed because there's so many things, they have so many processes built in. It's like, oh no, we have to announce what's on our slate like a year in advance, you know, wow. so everybody can prepare. And I was like, a year in advance? Like, I don't know what's going to be going on in here. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah, no come on. on. Uh well, that's great. Of course, we'll plug all that at the end so people can go buy that too. For sure. Um, I do. So kind of transitioning. So we talked a little bit about that. Now you're in Charlotte, but what, you grew up in the, in New York, you said, is that right? I was born in New York. Uh, I was there through high school and then I moved down to Washington, D.C. I went to school at a, oh, okay. a, a college called Catholic University of America mm -hmm. and uh, it's in Northeast Washington, D.C. And 
fell in love with that area and stayed in Washington for years uh, after uh, graduating and then moved down to Charlotte uh, progressively. Uh, my wife and I just kept chasing warmer weather. We are Southerners. <laughs> I've now like I, I never felt comfortable in New York. That wasn't my place. It wasn't oh, okay. my interesting. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't my pace at all. And um, when I found uh, North Carolina, I was like, oh, this is this is what I've been waiting for this whole time. So that move for you, was that um, a big change? Like, were you happy about it or? Which one? New York to DC? I'm sorry, New York to DC, yeah. Thrilled. Oh, Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, thrilled. Uh, I never never liked New York. I was not happy being in New York. Um, When I had to work, I took a couple of jobs that took me into the city and the commute was a disaster and the city's overpacked and <laughs> I never felt comfortable in that atmosphere. And so when I moved to Washington, um, this was in the mid nineties and Washington was like, it had all the amenities of New York, but it was more manageable. Uh, public transportation was easier to use. The people were borderline friendlier, like that arrogant New York, you know, aggressive New York attitude is not for me in the least right. bit. Um, and then, Washington was great for growing up at that, you know, for that time, there was so much stuff going on, a ton of opportunity. Um, But then even as we continued to explore, like, where are we going to settle down kind of thing? That's when we found North Carolina. And when we plugged into this pace, which is even four, four degrees, you know, dialed down from where Washington is, I was like, oh, this is what the rest of the world is like, like, or can be like. Um, And you talk about like, just the concept of Southern hospitality is real. Um, you know, the weather, the, your money goes for it. Like everything about, about the South yeah. is so appealing to me. And, uh, but I never dreamed in my life that I would, that I would be here um, as a Southerner. And, and it's yeah. everything. It's everything. Yeah. Well, I want to ask too, your love of film and movies, because if for people that don't know who aren't, who don't know, obviously you are the managing director of Cinema, Cinema Blend mm-hmm. and podcast host of Real Blend and all these incredible things. And I, I will ask you to explain what a junket is too, also, because I think there's some people that don't know what that is. Sure, sure. Um, but first I want to ask, like, when did that start for you? And like, when did you you know, did you, was it one movie that you were like, this, I, I, I love this and latch onto it or? It, no, it was, it, it was from, from extremely early on that just a love of movies was always part of me, like part of my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was uh, watching cable television growing up, you know, HBO and, and any, any type of film we can get our hands on. I, I don't know. And I can't, I, Believe me, I've thought about this a lot. Um, I know that I, I know that I love storytelling. I know that I'm a story junkie, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I read a ton, and I was the type of kid who got the TV guide um, at, at the beginning of the week, and I would sit there and read the synopsis for every show mm-hmm. that was coming up. I just wanted to know what was going on. I was, yeah. I was enamored with that world. Um, as I as I became a teenager, early you know pre preteen and, and teenager, I found a video store uh, in our town where uh, the girl who worked behind the counter would just you know feed me stacks of of VHS tapes, and it was a genre. You know, it was mm. she was like, "Go, this is what you're watching this week," and it was <laughs> you know westerns and horrors and 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 everything, and I just mm. I absorbed it all. 
Um, one of the times when I realized that you can have a different opinion um, from other people was in fifth grade. I can remember this very specifically uh, that I stayed home from school sick one day um, and my aunt who lived up the street had uh, two laser discs that she let me borrow because I was stuck at home. Um, Superman 2 and Dirty Dancing. And I went to school. Very different. <laughs> extremely different. Uh, and I went to school the next day and I was just, you know, foaming at the mouth talking about uh, both of them. And I said to my friends, I was like, oh my God, stayed at home last yesterday, watched Superman 2 and I described everything. And I was like, but there was this movie, Dirty Dancing. And I described it like from start to finish. And I didn't, to me, they were just both great movies. Mm. But when I described it to my friends, they were like, Ugh, you can't like Dirty Dancing. And I was like, what do you mean you can't like Dirty Dancing? Like, right. it was amazing. Like, mm. <laughs> the music was great. The story was great. And then I, and I remember the light going off of like, oh, like people have really strong opinions about movies and, and they're different mm. for different people. Whereas yep. at that point, I loved every, everything that I watched, you know? And so from that point on, I, I really paid attention to how opinions are formed and how you, um, how you judge certain things or how you become the, the barometer for whether someone's gonna agree with you or not. Like that idea of, cult, of critical thinking traces back to, to that moment in fifth grade. And, um, Did and you it was real... understand that like, you don't necessarily have to like change the other person's opinion. It's just like, you can equally have two different ones. When did that come into play too? Cause even as me, like I've kind of definitely learned as I've gotten older is that, yeah, like I don't have to, con I can tell someone how much I love something, but I don't have to convince them to them to like it. Like <laughs> I definitely had a lot of arguments with people in like high school and college mm. where you would passionately try to change their minds. Yes. Yes. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it happened much later when I became more Zen of, mm -hmm. well, this is my opinion. And if you want to jive with it, fine. I guess it's, it's as I read more and more people too, like, and I still read plenty of people who, when I read them, I'm like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like respected people, you know, mm -hmm. um, or, there, there, every year there are specific movies that the you know quote unquote uh, film Twitter will will get behind hundred percent, and then when I watch it, I'm like, this is not for me at all, <laughs> and it used to bother me more. You know, I used to be really uh, upset by that, and now right. it's just um, well, there's so much variety out there now. Like, just find what you like, kind of. Yeah, thing. there's so much content yeah. everywhere. <laughs> I also want to know, was it something your parents too, like, did they have a love of entertainment as well that influenced you at all or no? None whatsoever. <laughs> That's interesting. None whatsoever. I so think it was I can really self-induced. Yeah, I think I can count on one hand um, the number of films my father saw in a theater. Wow. And most of them were because I dragged him to them. <laughs> um, he didn't see uh, the appeal of it. He just, he like the idea of, of sitting down for two hours in a theater was not something he wanted mm -hmm. to do. My mom was way more into movies, um, but nowhere near uh, my passion kind of thing. Yeah, They knew that if there was any way to punish me, it was to take television away <laughs> or, or to take movies away. Literally my punishment as a kid growing up is that they would say, um, you, could, you could watch 30 minutes of TV a day. So pick, pick what show you're going to get to watch. And that killed you. Oh, that was it. Yeah. I would be good because I knew that the punishment was 
only getting to watch one show a day. Yeah. My dad was always like, why do we need to spend money on this? That was like the most, the mostly the reason. And I would be like, cause what am I, what else am I going to (laughs) do? Um, I also, so when for you did it become start, you know, it was mostly a hobby and when did it become like, oh, I could actually do this as a career. Like when did that change? Yeah, I can tell you the exact moment. Um, so when I graduated college, I took, I took, um, communications classes in college because, uh, it was a way to study film and it was a way to be mm-hmm. somewhat attached to that, uh, to that world, but without knowing necessarily which direction I, I kind of wanted to go. Um, and I would, I, I took a job immediately after school. I was working for my school, for my college in their admissions office. And I was traveling around the, the country and recruiting kids to come, which was a smart thing for them to do. They would get recent graduates to go out and, mm-hmm. and be the spokesperson for like, Hey, this is why you should come here kind of thing. <laughs> um, and over lunch one day in our offices, talking with one of my close friends who was another counselor we were talking about whatever movie, um, you know, and I was just sort of rambling on about different movies. And he said to me, what well, you really, why you should be doing this for a living. Like, why aren't you just talking about movies? And it was the light bulb that the, that was a light bulb moment. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you know what? Like other people do do that. Like, why can't yeah. I figure out how to do that sort of thing? And you immediately start to think of like um, print or television or radio, like opportunities to go and do that. But I was really thankful that this was 1998, right around that time. And um, the internet was really starting to uh, take, you know, catch fire and a ton mm-hmm. of sites were launching and all of those sites needed content. They needed writers. Right. And so there was a, a kind of a happy accident of just being able to um, throw your resume out and be eager, you know, to, to write entertainment content and get a couple of, I took a couple of free gigs at first they led into um, some stuff at the weekly newspapers in Washington. And then it very quickly springboarded to a position at um, USA Today on their graveyard shift, mm. working for the, the life section, for the purple section. And then it's, I haven't looked back since. I've been very <laughs> lucky to be able to, to move from one position to the next position to the next position and, mm. and just sort of keep uh, building and cultivating it. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, so let's talk about junk goods. Um, oh. <laughs> you want so me to describe people, what they are first? Yes, do that first. Sure. So a press junket happens um, before, like a week or two before a movie opens or a television show drops its first few episodes. And the studio or network that's in, uh, responsible for it will get the talent together, uh, directors, actors. And normally they what used to happen is they would get them all together in one place, primarily uh, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. sometimes New York, depending on where the talent was. They Currently will fly in. What's that? Currently on Zoom. Currently on Zoom. Yes, all of them yes. are on Zoom. Um, <laughs> they would fly in uh, press from all over the place, a ton of uh, regional press, uh, a ton of online press, and you would go through the course of a day uh, doing interviews with the cast and the directors, and mm-hmm. then you would fly back home. And it was a, a it was a very efficient way to get coverage on uh, networks all across the country and um, and get interviews with those casts and then of course the different websites and it let you it let you see stuff early so you'd be able to do reviews and because um, as you say travel is now currently shut down and nobody can interact with anybody they have figured out over the course of this year and it's actually it's very efficient now uh, they have zoom interviews uh, zoom junkets 
where you check in and then you go interview the people in person. And one of the beautiful things about it is while, while I will say it doesn't replicate the face-to-face in-person energy right. that you can create with somebody, it's delightful to get off a junket interview and then be able to go right downstairs. Oh, I'm uh, sure. Yeah. Be at home versus running to LAX uh, to get on a red eye flight home, you know, mm-hmm. and to to sleep for four hours in a chair. First world <laughs> problems, the, the most first world of first world problems. <laughs> I understand that, um, but it was a very unusual system <laughs> that yeah. we uh, that we were part part of for for many years. Do you remember your first? junket you ever did i went to atlanta uh to interview will ferrell for the movie elf wow what a (laughs) wow what a first one how were you extremely nervous (laughs) so nervous i mean like ready to puke my guts out nervous (laughs) um and because i had been doing some film criticism in charlotte here uh Mm -hmm. i'm in north carolina and so to, and I was doing some stuff on the NBC affiliate here in, in the market, just doing reviews. Mm-hmm. And once you get on to TV, they eventually will come around and start to offer you opportunities to speak to celebrities at the junkets. And Will Ferrell, when he did Elf, if you remember, he wasn't Will Ferrell yet, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. he was on SNL. That was kind of his big breakout movie. You know, he started to have a couple of big movies around that time. Um, but he wasn't Will Ferrell yet. Normally you go and you check in and the talent is in their um, hotel rooms already. They're kind of sequestered mm-hmm. and they stay in their hotel room and then the press rotates in and out of it. The, right. the junket, the talent doesn't really. They kind of keep them separate. Yes. And they've got their team and, you know, they're isolated, which is fine. That's the way it should be. Essentially. Um, but I went and checked into the hospitality suite at this hotel in Atlanta where they were holding the press junket. And it was me and the people who were working the junket. Um, and then who walked in behind me, but Will Farrell. And he was like, um, where should I go? And they were like, oh, you're going to be down the room. Uh, you're down the hall. And so he had no handlers with him or anything. He was just Will Farrell in Atlanta kind of thing. Mm. And they said uh, to me, oh, Sean, you're his first interview. Do you want to just walk down there with him? And I said, uh, sure. Like I was totally <laughs> intimidated. Um, and we're walking down this long hall <laughs> to go to the room and it's just the two of us and he could tell that it was super like uncomfortable and awkward like he just knew that like i i was nervous and <laughs> he was kind of doing his first you know junket for the day so he started to do he just fell into this persona of like he was the the tour guide and he was describing all the artwork that was along the wall um but like with not real descriptions. He'd be like, I don't know if you know this, but like this painting is from, and he would go off on this whole tangent. And then he goes to, and that transitions right into this, you know, bust of this famous, and he just did a routine for the length of the time. And it totally put me at ease and, you know, warmed us up for the day. And it was, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget. That's great. Wow. What a cool story too. I could have, I'm sure it could have gone a lot of different ways, but it's great <laughs> that it went like that. Well, I, as far as junkets go and inter- I, I'm sure, you know, you've been doing stuff for, tw- you said 20, about, you know, 20 plus years almost. Yeah. And are, do you still get those moments of like pinch me moments of like, wow, this is what I'm like, do you still get that of like, this is what I get to do. It's crazy. Every time, every, yeah. every time. Yeah. None of this is, is real. You know, like <laughs> none of it uh, should be normal. 
and it will never it will never get to be normal for me ever mm. um yeah i mean just just this past year before the pandemic um because of real blend we got two opportunities to interview quentin tarantino right um the first one was for the junket for once upon a time in hollywood uh and he wasn't doing press per se none of them were like they did like leo and brad and Margot did some press you know for like big big outlets mm -hmm. and then quentin did like two podcasts he did us and he did uh josh horowitz for mtv Yes, because primarily they sold him on it's a filmmaker driven podcast. They just want to talk craft with you. They're not trying to trap you with any kind of questions or anything. Right. So we got 20 minutes with him to talk once upon a time in Hollywood. And he had so much fun. This was in like July, I guess it would have been July when it was coming out. He said, oh, I had this was great. You know, what a good time. And we were we were on cloud nine for weeks <laughs> after that happened. But he said to to his his reps, like, I enjoyed that. Like, I want to do those guys again at some point. So when we came back around to December, now you're in the heat of the Oscar season and people are doing, you know, now they're doing awards yeah. press and Quentin's movie is, is getting conversation. And his rep reaches out to us and says, like, Quentin wants to do you guys again. Like, can you guys be in New York on this Saturday? And we're like, yes, you know, like, mm, we're going to get yeah. ourselves there. And he gave us two and a half hours. Yeah. And it was like not his movie. It, we talked a lot about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, obviously, but then it just became a huge conversation about the industry and and yeah. movies. And it was just then it was just geeks sitting around, you know. And when that That's interview incredible. ended, <laughs> when that interview ended, like we were done, we were finished talking, and Quentin like he just stayed, you know, like he still mm. just sat around. And we started talking. He was like, "Oh, I'm putting together my list of um, top ten for the entire decade." And we were like, oh, what's on it? You know, and he was starting to break it down and what he had on it. And I was like, mm. what am I doing here? You know, like, <laughs> what am I doing here? So every time I have that thought, every time. Mm. Mm. Well, I, I I should say, I think your second book should be you just telling a bunch of stories about all, all, all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, um, man. You're right in that. My wife says constantly, she's like, it's fun bringing you places because you have a lot of cool stories, right? Yeah. But like, uh, the last thing I want to do is talk about myself. Like, I hate, <laughs> I hate talking about, like, I, I never know if this stuff is interesting. Um, mm -hmm. So that's nice of you to say. Thank you. Well, it is. I think it is. <laughs> At least you. you have me and your wife. That's all you need, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Two books sold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, a couple other questions about your job. Well, I've always thought is, okay, actually, I'm going to ask this one first is, do you prefer like reviewing a movie or do you, or do you like writing a review or something? Or do you prefer doing the, like is uh, doing a junket? Is there one over the other or? Yeah. Uh, I, now it's junkets. I used to really prefer sitting down and doing a review. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. I don't think I got burned out on that, but I was ready to transition into something else. Yeah. And, and now yeah. the challenge of like coming up with a question that's going to really warrant a, a, a great story is more rewarding to me mm -hmm. than reviewing, reviewing. Yeah. What you do. I just watched your Kevin Feige interview today and um, it was wonderful. It was so great. Thank you. Yeah. I, I love so him. Great. I love yeah. him. Um, getting the chance to speak to people who you truly admire is, is a true gift of this, mm. of this job. Um, yeah. 
to spend some time and to just pick their brains and figure out what mm-hmm. makes them tick. I, I think, I think that's, I think that's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I'm fascinated by this kind of concept of, of the, of the critic, because I feel like people before Rotten Tomatoes have, has gotten this, oh, critics have their own idea and, you know, we don't, uh, general audiences don't really agree with like the critic or whatever in air quotes and stuff like that. Uh, Do you feel like, like since Rotten Tomatoes, maybe after like now that like it's changed a little bit, like people are like, they're kind of blending in a way. Oh yeah. Uh, The role of the critic has evolved tremendously. Mm. Um, The critic used to have far more say over what did well and didn't do well. And after a certain amount of point, people started to realize that they could make decisions on their own, of which they always had the ability to. Right. Um, But I don't even think it's the role of the critic to, to dismiss anything as bad or to, to, I always think criticism should be used to elevate the things that are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and one, one way that the critic can be really successful nowadays is to spotlight things that are worth your time when we're all being pulled in so many different directions, uh, particularly on streaming, where there's so many good things that are being dumped to streaming services that can't cut through the noise anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it's really good and some of it deserves to be spotlighted and, and they need a little bit more of a platform. And so I, I think the role of the critic can be uh, much more powerful when you're building something up than tearing it down. Mm. Yeah, that's great. And I think, pe- I mean, with Twitter too, um, you know, film Twitter, I personally don't have a Twitter. So I just think you. it's, <laughs> I think it's a little too negative for me, to be honest. Uh, and I know you can find facets of non-negativity, but for me, I just, I can't. Um, and, but so I know, I think people just um, feel like they, they can share their opinions more, I'm sure. And that someone will hear it regardless if it's positive or negative. <laughs> well, and, and anonymously, there's a, yes, a ton of yeah. people, you know, hiding behind the the shield of anonymity. Right. That feel right. that they can be, but also, there are people who they're not being critics. They're just negatively tearing everything down. (laughs) Like if, if you have, you have to have a balance, you know, people won't believe that you think something is horrible unless you also show them the things that you think are good. Um, And I've always said this and, and the smartest critics, I think, believe this people shouldn't agree with you all the time. Um, But if you find a critic who tends to be normally in line with you, follow that person. Because they're the ones who's, who's going to tell you whether the, the film or the show that you're about to dive into is going to be worth your time or not. And you, you're even going to disagree with that person on the regular basis. But if you can yeah. connect with somebody at like a 90% clip, then you're doing great. Yeah, I think I, I follow a couple of different um, a YouTuber and you guys and a couple of di- and all of you have different opinions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's and some of them are the same and some of them are not. And I, I enjoy all, all of it. I, I just love soaking it in and listen to me. I wish we could just get all of us in one room and then just all talk about all of it. <laughs> one day, maybe that will happen. We need balance. Yeah. We absolutely. need balance. Sometimes you got to step away from it too. That's what's healthy. <laughs> True. Um, well, lastly, I want to ask for someone at, in, in this kind of conversation of um, wondering what you, what advice you would give to people that, are looking to possibly do what you're doing. Mm, uh, sure. 
you have to do it every day um, or as close to every day as you physically can. Um, because the only way that you get better at doing it is by constantly doing it. And that could be anything. Um, it, it, if it's writing, if you want to get into writing reviews or columns or pieces, um, you have to get in the habit of every single day sitting down to write, uh, picking out what your topic is going to be, figuring out your way into it, um, figuring out how to structure something, figuring out what your voice is going to be. If it's uh, podcasting, you got to do it every day. You have to get, you have to designate the time because if you're not, then it's just a hobby that's going to come and go. You know, if you're right. truly dedicated to doing it, you have to do it. Um, and you have to, and, and I understand the need to, you know, eventually you got to get paid to do it. <laughs> but there is a component of you're not going to be good at it initially, you know, so maybe you, maybe you do do it for free for your own, for a YouTube channel, for, for your own thing, you know, however way to do it. Um, yep. But you'll see the progress. Uh, the way that we said at the beginning of this with, the, with Real Blend, like, I, I don't want to go back and listen to those first ones because I'm sure we were terrible at it. Um, <laughs> and, and we're all professional broadcasters but we, and, and we're best friends, but right. we didn't know how it works. We didn't, mm -hmm. know, you, you don't know until you do it. And we forced ourselves to do it every week. And I just know it got better because we were, you set a routine and you do it and you get better at it and you figure out, but it, and, and we do this with junkets too. Whenever we hire somebody new on Cinema Blend to do junkets, like how do you train to go into a room with a celebrity that you admire and ask them questions? Like, there's no way to practice that. You can't practice it. Um, you just have to keep doing it and you got to suck at first and you got to get better. How, how do you, there's no way to practice doing a podcast. You can't in your free time be like, I'm going to sit down and practice how to do this. You have to do it. And so yeah. I always tell people, if, if you truly want to do this, you have to commit and it has to be part of your daily routine. Um, otherwise, I don't, otherwise you probably don't want to do it. Um, and you should probably go look to be something else because there's a lot of people in this industry who are dying to get a foot in the door um, and who are trying to compete. And it's the people who are dedicated to it who are going to keep, who are going to be able to keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I, yeah, I think, well, I'm a huge fan of Hamilton as you guys are, I know too. And Lin-Manuel Miranda says all the time, um, you know, do the, do, do the thing, like just do, just, just put it out there and just do it. Um, and yeah, keep, keep kind of working at it and crafting at it. What is that? There's a horribly cliched phrase of you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I believe that with, with every ounce of my being. Um, I, I can't stand people who are like, mm, I, I can't try that. I can't do that. Like, well, then you can't, then you're not going to do it. You know, mm. just do it. If it fails, yeah. you know, then you yeah. learned, you learned a, a lesson and you'll know better <laughs> for next time. I mean, but, listen, I'm sure you agree that you learn more from failure sometimes than you do from actually succeeding. <laughs> of course, of course. In fact, I, I'm bizarre in that, like, I, I don't want to linger in the successes because I feel like they're, um, like you say, there's nothing to be learned from them. Yeah. Uh, I guess there is. I guess there is. Um, <laughs> but I'd much rather be moving on to the next thing. You know, I'd yeah. much rather be thinking about like, all right, how else can I challenge myself? How else are we going to push? How else are we going to push this? Um, yeah. I already feel like I'm playing with house money. Like this whole, like I said, this entire thing has been stupid, you know, so. <laughs> Uh, the fact that they let me still do it is phenomenal to me. Yeah. And, um, 
knock on everything. I probably just ruined your audio with that. I'm sorry. But. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to ask a couple just indulging questions just for myself because mm-hmm. I'm interested in these things and I hope some other people will be too. I thought of these last night and I hope they were fun for you. The first one is obviously Christopher Nolan is an incredible director. I finally got to see Tenet and it's, and it's, it's really great. I really enjoyed it. Um, he did arguably, in my opinion, probably the best superhero franchise in a long time. I think Matt Reeves Batman will be very interesting, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. I wanted to ask you and if, if you could have Nolan do an MCU character or an MCU movie, it, it could have been done before. What do you think? What, how would you like, who would you give that him or what movie? I wouldn't mind him doing a Fantastic Four movie. Okay. Because um, he's clearly interested in science fiction. Yes. And the Fantastic Four should have sci-fi roots. And if Reed Richards was in Nolan's hands, he would truly treat him like the intelligent phenomena that he is. Um, So I'd like to see Nolan take a crack at Fantastic Four. Yeah, that would be super cool. (laughs) But like Uh, a true sci-fi, you know, time travel bizarro fantastic four story yes yes i mean listen if we know anything there will be time travel in every christopher nolan movie right yes yes <laughs> in some form maybe i guess the dark the the batman are there there's no time travel in those but time travel uh probably no not really yeah that we know of until he reveals something of. later that's true we can go back in 10 years and be like oh yeah <laughs> Um, I wanted to ask if you could have an older movie be re- if they if they said we're gonna remake this movie, Sean O'Connell, what movie should we remake? And in your opinion, who should start it? The Cannonball Run. Okay. Uh, are you familiar with Cannonball Run? I am not. It's Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise, um, and it's a race from one coast to the other, from the East Coast to the West Coast, and each car has a series of bizarro celebrities like Sammy Davis Jr. and Dean Martin are in one car. Uh, Catherine wow. Bach from the from the Dukes of Hazard is in another car. I'm trying to think of some of the other pairings. Um, Dom DeLuise and Burt Reynolds. So the idea is you have to get a car that could race across the country and potentially not get co- stopped by cops. So oh, okay. Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise get an ambulance um, because they figure it's not going to get stopped. But Dom DeLuise, for some odd reason, also routinely breaks into character um, of a superhero that he plays, whose name I'm blanking on now. But it's like, <laughs> it's Captain Captain something. It's the stupidest comedy ever. <laughs> um, it's a classic 70s, 80s type comedy. Mm-hmm. And I just think you can take that format and translate it into... Um, nowadays and you could just populate it with like the weirdest bizarro celebrity pairings so yeah i mean that could almost be like a reality show too (laughs) yeah i would watch that every single week yes that would be fun um and then in your professional opinion sean o'connell what are five movies that you think everyone should see before they die that's terrific um the first die hard which is my favorite movie my favorite movie of all time before before those two films happened endgame mm-hmm. and infinity war 
I'm not going to include them because I don't I don't think comic book movies are for everybody. So I'm going to go like Die Hard works for everybody, you regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, E.T. Two, <laughs> which is one of the most beautiful Spielberg films ever, with the greatest ending of all time. Um, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, because I love Paul Newman and I love Robert Redford, and neither one of them has been cooler than they were in that film. Uh, Chinatown. Chinatown, one of the best screenplays ever. Mm. Uh, I'm also just a sucker for detective noirs like that. <laughs> and I'm going to say, um, oh God, that's hard. Last slot's always the hardest, isn't it? <laughs> because there's just so many to choose from. Um, I mean, to appeal to the widest popular range of of people um i'm gonna say toy story 2 because it's um it's a comedy it's animation you know it it, it at least represents pixar which is phenomenal for you know Mm. for families and for all audiences one is groundbreaking for what it did um and three is super emotional but two is the sweet spot of just like what pixar can do like i think two is hysterical uh, so what's funny is three actually works better for me, but it's okay. I wonder if also too because of I'm almost 25, so I'm in that in the age where I, three I think came out in 2010 I think, and I was you know 12 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was the sweet spot of that. And my brother had just graduated high school, so we all were like uh, like crying. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So everybody should sit through one of those films at least. Absolutely. Well, soul to a certain extent, I'm sure too, but <laughs> soul is wonderful. Yeah. Soul so is true. let's go through that again. You said E.T. Die Hard. Die Hard E.T. E.T. Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Um, Toy Story 2. And Chinatown. And, and Chinatown. Yes. Yeah. Those are the ones. Great. I love those it. Everyone go watch them. I have Please. only seen three of out of those five, so I will catch all the other ones. Please do. Coming to the end of the show, people, uh, listeners know, of course, that I ask every guest two questions at the end of the show. Uh, and the first one being, Sean O'Connell, if I was able to hand you a blank check, which unfortunately I can't do right now, but maybe one day, um, hand you a blank check and say, use this towards your passion, how would you use that? I would open a restaurant, um, barbecue. Uh, I would open a barbecue restaurant uh, uh, in Savannah, Georgia which is my dream city. Cool. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, I, I make barbecue uh, from scratch, pulled pork barbecue. And it's like a two day process. It's like a, a marinating mm. and a seasoning of the meat. You cook it for a day. It's got to sit, pull it apart. And every time I serve it to people, they always tell me that it, I should, I should serve it in a restaurant. Now I can't serve. I can't have like one dish, you know, right. <laughs> nowadays people have like food trucks and they yeah. serve like two or three things. So yeah. if I had a blank check for a passion project, I would open a barbecue place in Savannah, Georgia. Awesome. That's so great. I feel like you have thought about that before. So <laughs> I've given it, a, I've given it some thought. Yes. <laughs> Savannah's great. I've been there um, once and it, it's a great city. I love it so, so much. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, the second question of course is what is something that you're loving right now? And I also answer this. So if you, want to take a minute i can also answer first um no uh i i end every day uh with my um amazon fire tablet and i 
vacillate between um, Marvel Unlimited and DC Universe, the two comic book apps that give you an unlimited access to their libraries. Um, they are phenomenal. I mean, as a, as a kid who grew up having to buy individual episode uh, issues and collect, you know, to it's like catching up to the digital world, you know, right. Like, I'm, I'm an old, I don't necessarily understand <laughs> how all this stuff works, but when you tell me that I can click this uh, app and it has all of the Marvel comics just waiting for me, I am loving that constantly. I've, I've been immersed in that now for like two years since someone turned me onto it. And I literally, literally end every single night uh, in bed reading comics from Marvel and DC. That's awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> um, I am going to do a podcast this week. Um, I am loving, I, I don't know if I mentioned them on the show. I know when I, I had my sister on and we talked about them, which if you haven't gone and listened to my sister's episode, it's crazy. Go listen to it. We laughed the whole time. Um, but the podcast with Knox and Jamie is an incredible podcast. They talk about pop culture. Pop culture is mainly what they talk about, but they go into a lot of other things as well. And it's just incredible and so fun. They've been around, I think, eight years now. So it's they're they're deep into the podcast. They're one of the early, early podcasts that got started. So they're great. Go check them out. I'll provide that in the link uh, description below. Um, yeah. Well, we are already at the end here. I hope I didn't keep you too long. No, man, um, I'm good to go. Thank you for having <laughs> me. I really yes. appreciate it, Taylor. This is a good interview. Yeah, thank you. Um, of course, everyone can go follow you on Instagram and Twitter, Sean O'Connell, and mm -hmm. Real Blend. Uh, guys, Real Blend is so great. It's so much fun. And um, if you love, honestly, I, I would, obviously, if you love film, go listen to it. But if you just are interested in the industry at all go listen to it too because there's a lot of cool interviews and stuff like that so i've i've loved um getting to hear you guys so it's been great thank you so much man yeah. i really appreciate you listening to us and yeah. uh, and i appreciate you having me on i'm glad i hope i was yeah. a good representative of the show absolutely absolutely and of course release the snyder cut comes out in march you said march 1st release the march snyder 1st. cut you can pre-order the book uh anywhere that you buy books uh indie bound amazon obviously book uh, barnes and noble books a million all these different places the book is currently available if you have any interest in uh the dc films or Zack snyder's work or justice league pick it up and give it a read awesome and you guys know the drill. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, passionproject.pod. Um, tell your friends and family. Tell everyone, listen to this episode, and go um, listen to all the past ones if you haven't, uh, if you're just joining us. But thank you again, Sean. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Taylor. Yeah, and we will see you guys next time.